0: Welcome to It's a Sublime Life, inspiration on living an excellent life and seeing the beauty already in life. You can find It's a Sublime Life on most social media platforms. Just search for It's a Sublime Life. Welcome to It's a Sublime Life. I'm your host, Hayley. Uh, We have today uh, Dr. Jason Spendelow, who's a clinical psychologist and coach. Uh, You do your work online and in person, in groups I think I've read as well, workshops that you do. Um, Now, I've had a look over your website and um, LinkedIn profile, Uh, we've only spoken before for just a couple of minutes and a couple of emails to and fro in. Um, But I think what really stands out about yourself is your kindness, compassion, consideration. I'll just read one of your your clients um, uh, sort of quotes that uh, you use on your website. Jason knows his stuff. He's also one of the nicest, warmest people I've ever met. Uh, the tools he taught me really work. I think, I feel like you're just this comfortable blanket and uh, <laughs> if I was your client, we would just, you know, I'd sit there in my blanket, I would just work things out together. So that's what impression I get. Um, did you always know that this is what you wanted to be? Because it seems to so well suit your personality. Yeah, I'm not
1: sure really, I, I think, we. When I went through university, I, I started off doing economics as, as a major. And after my first year of university, I thought, okay, this isn't quite right. So I was, I, I'd thrown in a first year undergraduate psychology paper into my degree. And I thought, okay, let's do a bit more psychology. And, and I, I think just over time, I gravitated more and more in that direction. Um, and I, I, once I did my master's degree, um, then I was thinking very seriously about clinical training. And um, I thought I'd just kind of go for it uh, and see if I got in. I applied to a program back in New Zealand where I trained. Um, yeah, and, and I got in. And so things just kind of kept moving in that direction um, rather than having a kind of a moment and kind of an aha moment where I thought, okay, this is what I want to do for a job. I think yeah. I just kind of kept going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and of course, clinical psychologist. Um, it's um, a lot more training, for example, than um, a counsellor, isn't it? It's, it's, you've done nine years of, of training. Um, and am I right in thinking also that a clinical psychologist, there's a difference between a clinical psychologist and a straightforward psychologist?
1: Yeah, it? I mean, there's lots of different kind of flavours of psychologists. Um, you can have developmental psychologists or um, organisational psychologists, and then you have clinical psychologists. So. Yeah, professionally speaking, um, each psychologist has their kind of branch or the area of specialty. And for clinical psychologists, in most part, it's it's kind of using psychological theory and techniques to help people who have um, mental health and uh, physical health uh, problems. Uh, But Mm -hmm. you see clinical psychologists appearing in, in, in other fields as well, like in the criminal justice sphere so trying okay. to reduce recidivism for example. So um, clinical psychology has been applied to a number of different contexts okay. um, away from the original kind of area of looking at treating uh, mental health and psychological uh, problems.
0: Okay um, and you have shown dedication because you went on to do a PhD, you have published in several international peer-reviewed academic journals You've got 20 years experience working with clients in uh, the public, private and corporate organisations. Uh, so you really have gone on. You've continued your, your education, your training. Um, and that's reflected because you're in a member of several professional bodies. Um, UK Health and Care Professionals Council, the British Psycholog- Psychological Society, the International Society for Coaching Psychology, there's a lot there and um it says it goes into more about what you've been trained in as well and i would say quite a lot of people would have heard of most of these things but you're trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, mindfulness acceptance and commitment theory uh, and others it says i know i've underlined something else which i hadn't heard of before so we'll Um, I'll find out about what that that is uh, because that's intrigued me. Um, I wonder if I can find it now. What does it say? It says something compassionate, something, something. Oh,
1: compassion-focused therapy.
0: Yes, that is. I thought, well, I've not heard of that. That is one I've not heard of before. Maybe you could just briefly explain what each of those uh, is.
1: Sure, yeah. I I mean, in in a nutshell, we we have a number of different... um, approaches to treating or looking to address um, all sorts of kind of psychological and, and, and medical issues, behavioural problems, that sort of thing. And so what, what you're talking about, there's these different kind of schools or different kind of approaches to intervening with these issues. And, and that they're based on certain assumptions, different assumptions often, and have... Um, um, Different kind of techniques to practically actually use with people to, to um, help help them with their difficulties or achieve their goals. So a, a lot of people have heard of CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah. Um, that's a really common one. And a, a lot of clinical psychologists and other other kind of therapists, um, you know, particularly in the UK and um, um, other countries, are, are trained in CBT. Um, so basically it's a way of addressing problems It says um, your thoughts are quite important um, to um, you know psychological and emotional problems you have, um, as well as other things. But um, that's one of the key kind of distinguishing characteristics of CBT. It's looking at the role of thoughts and how we can identify um, kind of problematic or inaccurate thoughts. Um, and then respond to them um, in in an effective, kind of more um, positive way, adaptive way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you've got some mindfulness, which has been very popular in recent years, and a lot of people have heard about mindfulness as well. Um, And and I think there's um, similarities between mindfulness and acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, that you Mm -hmm. mentioned. Um, And in contrast to CBT, they'll approach kind of thoughts in a different way, saying instead of tackling and trying to modify thoughts head on, let, let's just kind of step back and kind of observe them and kind of unhook from them. Um, uh, as, so we don't get tied up in unhelpful responses to those thoughts when they happen. Um, um, acceptance and commitment therapy also works on slightly different kind of theory or assumptions about why people develop psychological problems. Um, compared, you know, compared to CBT, so you've got some, you know, similarities and differences between a lot of these major um, approaches. But, um, uh, along with, you know, other clinical psychologists tend to focus on approaches that have some kind of evidence base or some, you know, scientific kind of support for their effectiveness. Um, and that, and that's certainly something we try and um, use in, in the Flexible Man Project as well.
0: Okay, and what was that last thing I was? compassionate what what was it sorry
1: compassion-focused therapy. what was yeah,
0: that one yeah.
1: yeah what was that yeah, one yeah but... well um compassion focused therapy is something um i've got a lot of value out of using and so i've covered my colleagues like um matt Biedman, who's my um flexible masculinity Co- co-founder um so basically compassion focused therapy um um looks at psychological problems in terms of the need to acknowledge some inevitable truths about our brains and our lives that um you know our, for example our brains have these inbuilt alarm systems and they're there whether you want them or not so um most people who heard of the fight or flight uh response uh-huh. um and and these these kind of um processes are hardwired into our brains but often we'll beat ourselves up, we'll give ourselves a hard time um, for these things happening. So, you know, I shouldn't have let that situation get to me or I shouldn't have gotten Mm -hmm. upset or scared or anxious in that situation. But really what we're doing is kind of fighting very um, natural, uh, unavoidable um, things that go on in our bodies and our brains. Uh, And and so this is one of the the, the useful things about compassion-focused therapy, is getting people to kind of acknowledge the fact that hey, these things are inevitable. So yeah. you need to kind of go easy on yourself um, because it's kind of a waste of the energy to fight or disagree or beat yourself up for something that is going to happen whether you like it or not. Okay. Um, sure. But that's only a part of compassion-focused therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's loads of um, techniques within that 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 gives us different ways to kind of relate to ourselves in a more kind of compassionate way. So we're kind of working... You know we're fighting our own corner um, rather than being our own worst enemy yeah. okay
0: yeah so i suppose in general just being kinder with yourself <laughs> i guess
1: yeah it's a it's a really simple idea but potentially it's a really powerful idea yeah. so i mean i see a lot of people in my practice who um come in with difficulties and the, the difficulties that are partly kind of driven by a, um you know, tendency to be very harsh and self-critical shaming of yourself. Um, often people do that as a way to try and, you know, change their behavior, improve their performance yeah. and whatever kind of sphere that is. Um, but actually it undermines them. Um, but, you know, you get so locked into these types of responses that you, you don't take the time to step back and say, well, actually, is this kind of working in the way that I want it to? Or am I just kind of on this autopilot where I'm making these just responses or using these strategies that um, ultimately are self-defeating?
0: Okay. I've, I think I've had um, a bit of acceptance and commitment theory, uh, but it's about a decade now because I've got a neck issue, chronic pain. And um, I, immediate, my sort of understanding of it was perhaps in detriment, to the process, because I thought, um, well, let me get this right. Um, how, there's a part of it's things that I accept and a part of the things that I will never accept as being different than what they are. So for example, it will never be okay with me that it's certain, in certain at certain times I have, not being able to work to sustain myself in terms of food and wants. I, that will never be okay with me, let alone, you know, live in the house I want, um, go on a couple of holidays a year. At that point, will will never be okay. Well, I'll never really accept that. But then I'm thinking, okay, is it that part I need to accept or is it the part where I think, okay, it, almost another level up where I say okay that's never going to be okay with me it's, uh, but I can accept that it will never be okay with me <laughs> do you know what I mean I, I, okay that's bad and even if I reframe it so even if I say you know um, I would never be in the position now where I teach yoga which I love I do podcasts I'm loving it even if I reframe it Uh, And there are some good things that have come out of this situation of me having chronic neck pain. Even if I reframe it, this part I will never accept, but I can accept that I won't accept some parts and the important part is that I move on in, in ways that I can with my life. So Mm. I accept that part. Is that, um, have i got that right is there more elements of that because people are gonna with the difficult situations like that people are going to think i am not gonna there's no way i'll accept this
1: yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and, and i think what, what what we have with acceptance and commitment th- um, therapy is this idea that um life is not all roses and um everyone experiences um difficulties challenges um, really awful stuff and um, what, what, what we're trying to do with ACT, with acceptance and commitment therapy is say okay w- w- with that stuff there um, that you can't avoid it's going to be part of your life um, how do you still um, live life in a way that's kind of consistent with um, your values mm. uh, and so it's, it's known as, as a, as a behavioural therapy act um where it's very much focused on you know in spite of all this nastiness and horribleness, mm. you know what what stuff that you can um, be doing that's taking you the direction in the direction of um your kind of a desired or kind of valued life mm. so um it actors can be a really useful approach for things like chronic pain because you, the problem is is the pain and that's not something you can change mm. um, so it's yeah, so it's about having. Having a mindset where say, okay, I accept that that's there, and I can't change that, but you know, even with that there, let's look at stuff I still can do in my life that's important or valued to me.
0: Yeah, so so is it in a way a commitment to a kind of maybe a different path in life than what you may have had before? Is that
1: yeah? It, it, it's commitment to that kind of um, goals, values-based behaviour. Uh-huh. so it's kind okay. of not losing sight of the fact that I have these values these things are important to me in life and no matter what nastiness is going on um you know how how can I still move towards those um those values or um have those values based um behaviors as part of my life okay yeah
0: lovely lovely um and you say you support your to clients uh facing challenges in two broad areas so uh, general psychological and, and mental health issues and um, a, a big area are, is psychological and adjustment issues and people with medical conditions and or disabilities so We just touched on that haven't we um, also your coaching uh, you can help with procrastination I do my best cleaning sometimes and tidying when I'm procrastinating <laughs> goal setting and achievement optimizing performance at work, uh, stress management, uh, poor self-confidence, enhancing wellbeing. That all sounds great. Uh, and you're really at the top of your game, cause you're also a registered supervisor and, um, experienced researcher. Um, and your, your blogs actually, that really comes through in your blogs. They're very nicely researched and, and laid out and Look at some big concept as well so it's not you're not just saying statements um, some of the blogs I had to reread and reread as you do with with concepts um you know to kind of uh, run through different scenarios in your head about this concept that you've read about so it's really in-depth really nice um, so you, and you have uh, which is a big thing for you your flexible man project just before we get into that I just want to so we've kind of gone over what what the, um it, you know generally you have with as well you you do emphasize a down-to-earth and practical approach um that works um you go into how it can be delivered i think we've touched on that haven't we like workshops etc um come back to flexible man um Yes. So I think we've touched on everything before launching into Flexible Man Project. Um, would you like to say a little bit about that? And we'll just pick up on little bits of things about it.
1: Yeah, sure. The, so the Flexible Man Project. So I've, um, I've co-founded this uh, initiative with um, Matthew Biedman, another coaching and clinical psychologist. We... Um, being men, we tend to see a lot of men in our practice, because um, often we get, um, we get hunted down by blokes looking to talk to other blokes, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we, we, we tend to see a lot of men in our kind of coaching and in and, and our clinical work. Um, and off the back of publishing some research around men's coping, I became more and more interested in how men approach psychological challenges in their lives. And um, we thought that there there was a real need to put a service out there that was very kind of practically focused. I think there's been, um, very encouragingly, a lot more talk around men uh, communicating uh, about psychological distress, about mental health problems and saying, you know, it's okay to talk, basically. And that that is an important part of the process. But also, you know, communication takes skills practical skills as well as tackling psychological difficulties take skills. So we're very much focused on the practical skills side of things um, to use our kind of expertise and um, in, in our coaching and clinical practices to actually support men to um, take on psychological challenges more successfully um, so that, that they can live better lives. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's in the media a lot isn't it this this issue of men going for help um, getting the right help um you know and often it, you see the man being kind of pushed into going to get help <laughs> and, and, and things like this um I, you can find on on this flexible man product uh you have got a a one-day skills-based workshop for men wanting to enhance their resilience to psychological distress yeah you've mentioned that uh, ah you could also offer bespoke training program to tackle common men male mental health issues that are prevalent within an industry or organization yeah because specific industries will have yeah i can see that more specific issues um now you've speak on your website about um, you know this phrase um, man up uh, and I think yeah. a people of our generation understand that that's not perhaps the thing you should say to someone, anyone man, woman, anyone um, So, and you touch on toxic masculinity what is What does man up imply um, and how do you get past that?
1: Yeah. So um, for us, man up implies following a a fairly specific kind of brand of masculinity, if you like, that is along the lines of some fairly kind of, you know, traditional historical kind of uh, often white Western um, kind of Concepts about masculinity and, and what it is and what it isn't. Basically, we talk about masculinities because there's lots of different versions of masculinity. But there's this uh, man up um, phrase, I think refers to a version of uh, masculinity that's pretty unhelpful when we are looking at promoting our kind of physical and psychological health. Um, so it's about um, um, kind of ignoring, concealing distress and difficulties. It's about projecting an image of kind of, you know, toughness um, and independence, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it's, it's, as I said, it's pretty, it's pretty unhelpful when um, certain problems come along, like psychological issues, like, like low mood or depression, for example, when that approach actually isn't going to work in helping you address and make some progress with that issue. Um, so in terms of overcoming like a, a man up, Brand of masculinity. What, what we do with Flexible Man Project is say, you know, there's no real right or wrong way to kind of um, do masculinity or kind of represent masculinity. Um, instead, we say, you know, take the brand that's important to you and look to have it as flexible or as expansive as possible. So we might take a characteristic like um, bravery, for example, if that's particularly important to you and your own kind of brand or um, conceptualization of masculinity. We say, well, let's take bravery and think about all the different ways in which that can be kind of displayed or exhibited as a bloke. So it might be um, standing up to a um, a bully um, at work or in school if you're younger, um, through to speaking honestly to someone who's likely to disagree with the opinion you have. or, you know, going against the grain by behaving in a way that would be at odds with your group of friends and how they might respond in a certain situation. So it, it's, it, again, it's, 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 it's saying there's no right or wrong way to do masculinity. There's no right or wrong version. The problems come when you adopt a version of masculinity that's very narrow and restrictive and kind of cuts down your options for coping with psychological distress when, when that distress comes about. So this is why this man-up approach is not helpful because it's very kind of restricted. It says there's a very particular way to, to, to do masculinity in, in, in that kind of context. And it means that you, you, your options shut down and you become less effective at, at coping with challenges that, that come along in life. Mm.
0: And I like the analogy you use about a car and first gear because I think it's obviously important to recognise that there... Uh, is some occasion, and typically that would be a temporary response in a crisis, where you would adopt a sort of strategy of, okay, let's just ignore these thoughts and feelings for the moment. I've got to get in, on with this <clears throat> right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but then, much like uh, a car, if you stay in first gear, your engine is going to suffer. Um, mm and there has to be more gears more strategies for you uh, to look at your emotions and feelings is is that about right
1: you know absolutely and i think there's i I don't i haven't really come across um um many coping strategies that you could um clearly label as good or bad Mm. um Mm. i I think what, what the problem is when people kind of overuse or over rely on a particular strategy and so, if, you've, if you if you if you if you buy into a brand of masculinity that's very tight and very restrictive around the sorts of behaviours you can do and can't do, then that's that's going to get you into trouble. So, um, if you're feeling distressed, um, you're feeling anxious, um, going and having a a pint with um, a couple of friends at a pub um, may be perfectly fine, you know. Um, if you do it kind of now and again. But if every single night, that's your response to feeling distressed, the then you're gonna get into, into trouble. So yeah. I think that, I think we should be more um, concerned or interested in overused strategies and not having a variety of strategies, rather than saying, oh, okay, that's good and that's bad, um, as, a, as a coping mm-hmm. response. So again, this is where this flexible masculinity we think is really important because it's saying, let's have as broad a set of tools as possible. So then you can take a horses for horses approach basically and say, well, in one situation I might use strategy A, another situation I might use strategy B, and that also um, helps me avoid getting into a situation where I'm just hammering one type of coping response over and over and over again and it, it's, it's kind of it's meaning that I'm less effective than I could be at managing
0: distress okay mm-hmm. uh, there's also a mention of which I kind of quite like there, and I can't find it now, but it's you mentioned like a sort of exercise where you just go on and live your life for a few days uh, without any ideas of what you should be. Or, what your ideas are of what you should be, um, that is to do with your gender and your, in your case, sort of masculinity. So, d- as an experiment, drop all those ideas. How do you live? How does it change? That just intrigued me. I, and I kind of applied it to myself. I wonder if I can live a few days and drop my ideas of what, um, my feminine ideas or uh, i just found it really interesting yeah the kinds of things yeah. you would discover
1: it's 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 a, it's a very difficult thing to do yet it's um you know i think um identity is such a broad kind of concept and involves a lot not just your kind of gender identity your gender roles but it is you know a significant part of it and uh it it is a useful kind of experiment i guess Taking um, a characteristic that's important to you, you know, like this this bravery idea, I go back to and saying, well, instead of showing or displaying bravery and with method A, let's try and do it with kind of method B, and just kind of see what that's like. So as a little kind of um, everyday behavioral experiment, if you like, and um, because this, because having a different experience is, is a really, really can be a very powerful teacher. You know, rather than staying in our heads all the time going, I wonder what it would be like if I did X, actually going and practically trying something and see what actually happens in the real world. Often that's, um, um, yeah, a, a far more kind of powerful experience and something we can learn a lot more from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to do that experiment myself. Um You've sort of touched on this um, another idea of sort of taking a, a stock take of existing views on masculinity um, and, and coping with ideas. You have touched on that and um, how that can work for you or how it may be working against you, I guess. Um, Although now the, there was a blog that I um thought was quite interesting, um, and it touches on what i, I was saying before about um, a, a sort of <laughs> getting a man in through the doors to help him in the first place, maybe um and they perhaps typically don't like to ask for help um and you were talking about the two words uh, stress and depression and how you okay. would, how you would use different words, perhaps, uh, to sort of, uh, get a man in through the door to, to, to that help stage. And I I read this and immediately knew what, what you were saying, even though it doesn't actually say in black and white in the blog. Um, just because i mean obviously stress and depression are literally mean two two different things but it wasn't that you were talking about you were talking about what goes around the word stress and around the word depression and this is what my interpretation is that you would probably use the word stress talk about stress to a a man uh, rather than depression because to me, stress is more of a powerful word. It means I might be important, I've got a lot of things to do. Um, there's only me who can do them. Um, I, it's, a, it's also an external thing to me that I perhaps need to take control of. Uh, so it's a very much more powerful word for one to think about oneself having in, as opposed to depression. Because now, to me, that word has more of a um, meaning of um, my inner self. I'm not tackling something going on with inside myself. I must be weak. Uh, how can I uh, tackle this? It must be my fault. And also, it, it, you, so it's not an external thing, it's within you, it's your fault. Um and I thought it was really, really interesting, really, really interesting. And it's also, I found it really interesting that I had picked that up so quickly. And then I thought, have, has this sort of toxic masculinity kind of spread not throughout men but throughout women? That's what I, I kind of thought, is this what's going on within me that I think that? Um is it society? Well, maybe. Or is it to do with just my personality? Maybe I'm just that way more more inclined. Um, Or there was a third thing I thought about. Um, or, Or could it be that in the past, I've simply been more stressed than depressed. So so one of them three things or perhaps a mixture of all of them is happening but I just found it really interesting really interesting that you would use different words for for men do you want to expand on that and and I think you did mention you know as soon as you come in as they come in to help um you start perhaps using the more accurate words
1: yeah so I think um yeah I I think that the blog you're referring to I, I was kind of talking about the use of language or modifying men to try and get them through the door basically to get some help because as as an entire group men are kind of notoriously um, low um poor help, help poor help seekers um not not everyone but on average as a group um less likely to seek help than women um and one of the responses to this is say well what kind of language do we use how do we kind of you know quote unquote market um, mental health or psychological services to men to make them more appealing. And one of the strategies that's been talked about a lot is say, well, let's 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 think about our language, let's modify our language um, in a way that's less kind of stigmatising or, you know, a bit more kind of acceptable to men. But I think there's, there's a trap there. Um, um, if we start to modify, we say on the one hand, it's okay to talk, but on the other hand, service providers of various kinds are saying, are uh, being seen to modify or try and soften the language, then I, I think you, you, you could be sending very conflicting messages there. Um, so if it's okay to talk about having depression, for example, then, you know, let's talk about depression. Let's not come up with a kind of modified or euphemistic kind of term um, through fear of kind of um, alienating or, or, or getting men um, running off screaming for the hills. I think... Um, you know, it, it needs to be used quite carefully um, and certainly not in a way where you might risk um, confusing men by saying on the one hand, you must talk, why won't you talk? Um, but at the same time, <laughs> the people who are there to help us are saying, oh, well, you know, you look a bit stressed when really someone's kind of clinically depressed or has some other issue. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important to think about that um, um, and and talk about where the, the boundary lies or what's what's um, a seemingly good balance between the two. I think once you get a guy in the front door and you're working with him, then I, I think it's, it, it it's, can be a really useful um, strategy to, you, you know, get him to drive the language that he wants to use, um, you know, provided it's not kind of contributing to kind of avoidance of important kind of facts or um, home truths about um, someone's situation. So, yeah, the, the use of language is quite an interesting and important kind of topic, but like you've got these these tensions within that around how you use language that could um, you know that that could send mixed messages potentially, uh, but also have a bit of an impact around, you know, what proportion of men to actually come in and say, I need a bit of extra assistance here.
0: Mm. And would you would you say that um and perhaps this is isn't something you've you've thought about before, because you're maybe your focus is on the flexible man project and coming at it from that angle but because it really made me think uh, oh is this i don't know uh, idea of masculinity reaching us uh women uh in a in a similar way particularly i thought because i thought about the roles of or typical roles of gender changing, and the women are now more—you know—of them are going out to work, more of them are being the uh, primary breadwinner. And I just thought, is that—is uh, it? Are women kind of being affected in this way? Do you think, or?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. I guess, you know, you talk to a few different people, you're always going to get a a wide range of experiences. I guess if we think about kind of masculinity, femininity, gender roles, it's just one of the many kind of pressures put on us and our identity and, you know, an expectation that we're going to think, feel, and behave in a particular way. Um, So um, gender roles is just one example of that. So, you know, we talk a lot about masculinities and flexible man project, but for men as well as for women, there there, there are other there are other factors that are going to um, place pressure on you to you know be a, a certain person or, or have a certain role in life. So I think regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, you know, um, no matter what kind of situation you find yourself in life, there, there's going to be Expectations and kind of pressures to live your life in a certain way, um, and they come from various sources. So, mm. um, and, and over time, I think these expectations and influences change, don't they? And um, the goalposts kind of keep moving. And I think while well, it's been good to try and um, tell men, you know, um, it's okay to talk. Um, times are changing. We're not like the previous, you know, our parents' generation. That's all well and good, but it just means that. You know what what we're kind of supposed to be seems to keep kind of changing. Um, so that's why I think kind of flexibility is a really good kind of concept to to, to um, use in life because it's it's not about you should be this. It's about you know have a a variety of different kind of strategies, have an open and kind of critical mind, and you know don't don't be afraid to um, change your approach, change how you perceive things over time because that's the reality of life that. Uh, Love changes and, and the way we kind of view people and expectations we have within society are, are, are always evolving.
0: Yeah. And do you know, another thing that sort of popped up in my mind as I, uh, I was reading some, uh, some of your blogs is that, that I, I wonder if, um, a higher level of uh, challenge is there for different classes or for different with, uh, di- different sets of people perhaps with a lower amount of m- money uh, and I say this because we were talking earlier about first gear and would a person adopt more of the, of a first gear approach if that person thought that or knew that they couldn't have time off work to, to deal with the issues effectively because they need to put food on the table. They, you know, they, or they can't afford to access the correct help or uh, to, to, to work through these things. Um, so they're operating more in a sort of crisis mode for more of the time. Do you think that or do you any other?
1: No, I think there's lots of um, circumstances in life where we feel kind of constrained or forced into a certain course of action or a mm-hmm. certain way of approaching life or dealing with difficulties, sources of stress, that sort of thing. I mean, I have I've quite a bit of experience as um, a carer. And um, I think that um, when times were tough and overwhelming, you know, I was often telling myself, I have no choice but to kind of keep going. I can't let this get to me. I can't get too emotional. I can't kind of get upset. So I think we're often placed in life circumstances where there's real pressure or kind of expectation, whether it's imposed by ourselves or by others, um, to, to respond or act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I, I think that's, that, that's mm-hmm. definitely something that ev- everyone can relate to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um there's a quite a few d- I was getting um you know really uh, into all, all of your blogs I, I recommend uh, go and have a look at uh, your, your blogs um we've spoken about man up and about those emotional signals and they can be helpful to stop or change what you're doing or steer in a different way maybe um I've spoken about the class issues. Um, what man up might mean. Um, reframing things, like in terms of bravery, what could that mean? could um, Talked about the first gear. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it... Watch your language there's another one called what's your language i think that's where you um look at stress versus depression isn't it and and yeah. use of the different words um, so how can um is it um the the flexible mind project is it um can you get it on the nhs or is it a, a private thing or
1: yeah no we, we we're a we're a private service um we we are kind of in the process of collaborating with other organisations um, um, to provide some sort of input. But I think that, that the main kind of service that we offer for people is is one to one support, and uh, we we do a lot of that online. Um, so we we work with people all, all over like the UK um, and around around the world um, to help them effectively respond to whatever challenge it is that, that that they bring along. So that, that, that one-to-one work is quite a focus, but we also do uh, the, the, these one day resiliency workshops. Um, and we're just in the process of getting a version of that put online so people can kind of access it as a self-guided um, uh, workshop. Uh, so we, we basically, basically we, we try and weave in the flexible masculinity kind of approach into all those different kind of services that we offer. So regardless of whether you're getting the one-on-one help or you're doing the online workshop, we we, we try and really carry that idea that um, um, the way forward with psychological distress or psychological difficulties is to develop flexibility in your thinking, feeling, and behaviour. And to say that we're not here to tell men how they should be as men, rather let's get alongside of you, let's see how you currently cope with difficult psychological kind of situations and see how we can kind of expand that out and develop that further. So taking you know a guy's existing skills and looking to kind of grow them rather than saying you've got to go in a completely different direction. I think it's a really nice way to work with people and it's an important way to work with people, whether you know, you're know you working with men or women is to say, well, everyone has their existing kind of strengths and abilities and knowledge. Let's actually use that as a base um, rather than kind of You know, intentionally not giving the message that you know people coming in as a blank slate or don't have anything to work with.
0: Okay, Um, yeah, I think it's it's really great, isn't it, that we we can work with people in different parts of the country and uh, different parts of the world um, with the with the technology now. Um, Is there any is there any blogs or anything you think um, is important? Whether that would you know generally male or female or um focusing on men that you'd like to bring up or would like to mention or
1: yeah well we've, we've we've got more kind of information resources on our website so that's flexibleman.com and so some of the blogs you refer to are posted on there so um men and women can go and, and have a bit of a read there and and see, uh, get some more information. We, when we write um, articles and blogs, we try and keep them practically focused. So actually mm-hmm. giving people some useful information and strategies that they can kind of take away from them. So that, that's an important thing for us. Um, but um, there's loads of good resources out there uh, no matter where you are in the world. Um, you know, for example, a really good source of useful blogs is something like Psychology Today, You've got um, blogs and a whole range of topics there. Um, you, whatever country you're in, that you know, the, the national kind of psychological organization is often a good source of information resources. So in the UK, it's the British Psychological Society. In the States, you've got the American Psychological Society. And um, so the, the, there are a lot of really good um, resources out there. I, I think if you're trying to seek information, um, on psychological and mental health issues it 's really crucial that you go to a reputable source because you know thousands not millions of people writing on mental health issues and I think you you know you 've got to get good quality information so you don 't head down the wrong track around you know how to kind of respond or cope with these difficulties so I think starting with these well known reputable bodies is is a is a really good way to go to make sure that you 're not you know you don 't get some information that's potentially going to be unhelpful to you or been inaccurate or leads you down an unfortunate path.
0: Okay. Um, so you've mentioned there your um, Flexible Man website. You've also got your own personal website, haven't you? Now, what's that?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's Um So if you just Google me, my name will come up for um, my website and Flexible Man Project. Because I, okay. I do a combination of this coaching and clinical work. So, you know, working with people with have medical conditions, that's kind of one area of my practice. And then the more kind of coaching work, working with men, that, that's, that's more the Flexible Man project.
0: Okay. And you're also on LinkedIn. I'm just going to spell your, your surname. It's S-P-E-N-D-E-L-O-W. Um, Nailed
1: it. Yep, that's right.
0: Yeah, that's the spelling. It's
1: a bit tricky to spell as well as pronounced <laughs> as, you, as
0: you found out yeah um okay so i always ask this question what makes life sublime for you
1: for me um what makes life sublime um are people and uh i'm very lucky to have some wonderful friends and family and you know if i think about the best moments in my life um they've always being you know with people or having experience with you know loved ones or, or people who are kind of precious to me so um, I'm incredibly spoiled incredibly lucky in my life so uh, it's really for me it's about people and that's what makes my life particularly sublime.
0: Oh that's beautiful that's beautiful that's really a really nice indeed. I've, I've absolutely loved speaking to you and I've loved looking through your websites and your blogs um, so if it's a sublime life we are on most social media platforms we're now on youtube because it's these podcasts uh, are being started to be uh, visually recorded as well so you can hit subscribe i think you have to hit a bell thing to to for it to send you a note when a new one comes up so you can do that um but yeah thank you so much um i'm sure i'll speak to you again at some point in the future uh, thank you and uh, see everybody next time.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Hailey.
0: Thank you.